the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. I'm broadcasting from my office in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. I hope you've all had a a good week. Mine has been largely uneventful, and uh, I sometimes like having weeks that are uneventful. Gives me a chance to kind of catch up on various things that I am working on without being um, interrupted by by other things that pop up in my life. So I uh, wanted to cover a fair amount of ground today. I'm going to use my uh, usual approach to this show and start with questions and comments from around the state of California. So um, I also want to let you all know I'm in the process of putting together a uh, an evergreen webinar uh, that will be uh, accessible on my website. It's basically what I would like people to watch first before booking an estate planning consultation with me. And the reason I'm asking that, once it's up, the reason I'm asking that is a lot of education goes into my webinar. It's basically going to be a webinar version of my uh living trust seminar that I used to do uh, before. Uh, Evergreen means that it will be always available 24 hours a day. But I'm asking people going forward, once it's up there, to please watch the webinar first before booking an estate planning consultation with me. I'm asking for that to be done primarily because I want to make sure that um, that people actually have have an understanding of what the issues are and why we do estate planning and things like that before they come in to meet with me. I would like more people coming in to meet with me who have already determined that they need to do estate planning. And so it's more an issue of not should I do planning, but what is the best kind of planning for me to do. So uh, I'll let you all know once that uh, goes live. I'm hoping to have it be up on my website, uh, ready for viewing in the next week or two. 
So we're going to jump right in with the first question and comment from around the state of California. And this one comes out of Modesto, California. And the person says, my mother has a home and needs to refinance it now that my father has passed. She has a living trust that says the house is to come to me. However, in order for her to refinance the house, she needs me to co-own with her and do a deed with me on it. What are the complications for me? Well, if you go on the title on your mother's home with her so so that you can co-sign on the loan, well, then you become responsible for the loan. That's the complications. But the bigger issue is, unless you're actually living in that home, any interest that that you go on the title with your mother could very well trigger a reassessment of the property taxes on the property to the extent of the value of that interest. Uh, this is a Prop 19 issue, and I've talked about Prop Proposition 19 in the past, so I just want to make sure that people understand what I'm really talking about here. Proposition 19 could very well make it... Um, cost prohibitive from a property tax standpoint to actually um, actually go on the, uh, the title of the property and refinance. This is something where the, you really need to sit down and go over the details and find out how much of an interest in the house do you have to have. I mean, if you could go on the title as a 1% owner, and only have 1% of the value get reassessed, that wouldn't be too horribly bad. That might be all that's necessary to actually co-sign on a loan. But um, this is a much more complicated question than I'm going to answer completely on the radio. Okay. So here, um, Vallejo, California... It says, uh, my fiancé hired a lawyer to do his trust, and it costs a lot of money. Uh, paperwork was not done by the lawyer to put my fiancé's 50% of our house into his trust. It was listed on a schedule of assets for the trust, but it was never transferred. My fiancé passed away and left his half of our house to me in his trust, but the lawyer said now he has to file a Hegstat petition to put it in the trust so I can get my fiancé's half of the home. Well, yeah, uh, if it was never transferred into the title of the house, if the title was never transferred um, at the time the trust was created, that's exactly right. That's exactly what would happen, is you would have to go to court. Now, going to court for a Hegstat probably is not going to be that big an issue, uh, and the reason is that the property, if it's listed on a Schedule A of assets, it's going to pretty much be a slam dunk 
in court to uh, have that property declared to be part of the fiancé's trust. The reason being that, uh, quite frankly, uh, that is clear written evidence of intent that the property be in the trust. So that's really, um, that's really, uh, it's unfortunate. And it's amazing to me how frequently this actually happens, where someone uh, creates a trust, and for whatever reason, property is never property transferred into the trust ownership, and then the person dies, and now people find that they have to actually go to court with a Hegstat petition to get that loose property into the trust. So here, out of San Diego, California, someone says, I receive SSI and am permanently disabled. Will an inheritance disqualify me from SSI benefits? SSI is our is basically income from the federal government if you cannot work and you can't generate any other income for yourself. It is needs-based, which means you basically have to be largely indigent. You can't really own things and receive SSI. A person said his father's preparing a family trust and he and his brother are to split the assets when the father passes away. And it'll be about 300000 for each of them. He wants to know if he has to report this. Well, if he receives the 300000 directly, yes. His father, however, can make sure to leave that 300000 in a supplemental needs trust so that it does not affect the government benefits that this person is going to be receiving from his father. That is, first and foremost, what the father should be doing. And it may be the father's not aware of that. Or maybe even the attorney that he's working with is not aware you can even do that. Okay, we're coming up on the first break today of our show. And when we come back, I will continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll talk to you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to the second segment of our show today. Okay, this is an interesting one because it's it's not just estate planning, but it has a little bit of an overlap. This is out of San Diego. person said, my sibling and I own some land that I want to sell and have the rights to sell. My sibling owns a portion and took out a loan in 1991 for about $6,000 that he never paid off. They recorded a deed of trust with assignment of rents in 1991, which is showing up on the title, but we can't locate the beneficiary of the deed of trust. Is the only option to do a quiet title. Now, reading this situation, I'm assuming that the loan is against the whole property. 
And it was from 1991. And the first thing I would ask these people is, when was the loan due to be paid off? And if it was like it was taken out in 1991, it was never paid off, but it was due and payable basically more than four years ago, and no effort was ever made by the beneficiary on the deed of trust to collect on the loan or foreclose on the loan, it likely is the the case under the law that the loan is no longer collectible, which means that the deed of trust is no longer enforceable as a matter of law. Um, I faced, my family faced kind of a similar situation to this uh, years ago when we went to sell a property that was um, owned by parents after um, after uh, my parents died, and there was a deed of trust on the property, but it was for, the, and we knew it had been paid off, we had payoff records, but the trust company that was handling deed of trust was no longer in existence. So there was nobody to actually reconvey the deed of trust. But in the escrow, I pointed out to the title company that the deed of trust by its terms, it was, at that case, over 10 years ago, the note would have been due. So even if it hadn't been paid, there would have been no authority for anyone to foreclose on the deed of trust because the loan would be no longer valid as a matter of California law. So in a case like this, that's what I would advise these people to do, which is have someone like me look at it or talk with the title company, have them look at it and see if the title company agrees that, oh, maybe this could never be collected on, which means you can sell the property and we don't care about that deed of trust because it's no longer any good because the low underlying loan, um, the underlying loan was um, was no longer valid. So that's how I would address that right there. Okay, out of Dana Point, California. Person says, I believe the trustee of my parents' trust moved six months ago and has not informed the beneficiaries of the trust of a new address and contact information. The trust has not been fully distributed yet. Is a trustee required to provide beneficiaries with current address and contact information if they move? The answer is yes. Anytime there is something like a change of uh, v- uh, change of the location of the administration of a trust, such as when a beneficiary moves or when a trustee moves, they're required to notify the the beneficiaries where they're at now. Uh, because otherwise, how do how does the do the beneficiaries know how to even get in contact with um, with the trustee if they have no idea uh, where the trustee has moved to? So um, that's kind of an easy one, um, and and 
I would say, yes, in a situation like that, you really need to, uh, the, the trustee really has a requirement to notify the the beneficiaries where uh, where the trustee has moved. That that's it kind of makes sense too if you think about it. But it's also the law. Kay here out of Long Beach, California. My sister is successor trustee of our father's now irrevocable trust. It's irrevocable because he passed away more than a month ago. I've been helping with phone calls and claims and miscellaneous things like getting the tax ID number for the trust now that it's irrevocable. My sister hasn't opened a new account for the trust. She's just using dad's checking account as if he's still alive and she has power of attorney, which she did have when he was alive. My question is, is this illegal or just dumb or is it fine? The authority under a power of attorney ends the second that the grantor of the power of attorney dies. Uh, with the exception of a health care power of attorney, where the authority can continue for some time later to give a health care agent the ability to, for example, demand uh, medical records and things like that of the person that's died, a financial power of attorney authority ends the moment that the grantor of the power dies. So in this case, the sister continuing to act like the father's still alive, that is acting improperly. Uh, I would hesitate to say acting illegally, but um, the I guess a real issue is, uh, yes, once they let the bank know that dad died, they will freeze the accounts, which is why they need to go in with the death certificate and that new tax ID number and immediately move the funds into the new account. Whether the bank will have a hissy fit if they look at the records and see that that the daughter was doing things after the father died, I can't respond to that. I don't really know what the answer to that would be. Um, let's just say that it's uh, it, it could be very much problematic uh, that uh, that not, that the uh, that the daughter continued using the account as if she still had the authority because she no longer had the authority. Um, so if you're in that situation, don't keep writing checks against that account. Um, do what needs to be necessary to take over the account. You may have to go to probate. Uh, you may have to get a death certificate and a tax ID number. But don't keep writing against the account. Unless you're a co-owner on the account. But if you just have power of attorney authority, you don't have any more authority over that account. Okay, when we come back, I'm going to spend some time talking about a special type of court petition that can be done if you're concerned about family mothers or others challenging your trust estate plan after you've died. So stay tuned for some interesting discussion after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman.
This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. So welcome back. In this segment of the show, and perhaps extending into the final segment as well today, I'm going to be talking about uh, information that I gathered in a webinar earlier this week. Uh, I actually thought it was going to be last week, and I was going to talk about this last Friday, but it turned out being this week. And it's about a section of the probate code and a creative use of the section of the probate code basically to um, to uh, deal with a, a situation that can come up for many people, um, for many families, after a parent or parents have passed away. Now, the situation goes something like this, and I'll just personalize it, and I'll say, Mrs. Jones comes to my office um, to do estate planning, and and she is talking with me, and she's concerned about... Uh, she doesn't want to leave anything to her son, John, because John has been abusive towards her and and uh, she doesn't feel that John deserves anything. But she knows that if she doesn't leave anything to John, that he is likely to come back after she has died and uh, and make a big problem with the family. Now, in the past, and even through the present, I've suggested to many of my clients that um, one of the things, one of the problems we have now is it used to be in California law that you could explicitly disinherit somebody and have that be rock solid. You could basically say, if they complain about your estate plan in any way, shape, or form, and they're not successful in having your plan overturned, which would generally mean they would have to prove that you were somehow incompetent when you did the plan, or that there was undue influence being exercised against you um, by some family member who induced you to uh, to actually do the planning and leave that that person out? Whatever it happened to be, it used to be you could get you could basically say you complain about it, you're out. You you get nothing. It's what we call in legal terms an in terrorum clause, terrorum terror, intended to terrorize somebody and convince them just. Don't even challenge or you're completely disinherited. You would even be disinherited if you were the only one of my family left. You're not getting it. It's going to go someplace else. The law changed. And now when someone challenges, you can only really knock them out from uh, being. You can only really get them disinherited now if you can demonstrate that they had no reasonable basis for believing that they could uh, they could actually 
inherit from you. So that's a major change in the law, and it's made it harder to get people disinherited if they're challenging uh, challenging your estate plan. If, for example, you did your plan, and this is the most common thing, you did the plan when you're older, maybe you're, you're, uh, have a little bit of diminished capacity, you're not as sharp as you used to be, and uh, maybe you have a child that's been caring for you, moved in, gave up their career to move in and care for you, and you want to make sure that child is taken care of. So you decide to leave the bulk of what you have to that child. Not a problem, really. And even if you do everything right, even if you have uh, the attorney, a a well-heeled attorney like myself, prepare the plan for you, even if you have a second attorney interview you and sign off what we call a certificate of independent review, um, saying, yes, you knew exactly what you're doing, blah, 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 that's not necessarily going to stop someone from going to court and trying to overturn things or trying to blackmail the rest of the family into giving them a piece of the the action uh, in order to go away. Now, one of the interesting things, there's a section of the probate code, section 17200A, that permits a trustee or beneficiary of a trust to petition the court to determine the existence of a trust, uh, the existence or non-existence of any immunity, power, privilege, duty, or right, the validity of a trust provision, and to ascertain beneficiaries and determine to whom the property shall pass upon final or partial termination of the trust. Now, the interesting thing is you can actually file a petition in the court to have your own trust that you just had prepared uh, seeking a determination from the court that the trust exists and it is valid. Now, why would you do that? Well, here's why. Remember John? And Mrs. Jones does not want her son John to get anything from her estate when she dies? Well, if she's willing to take her trust, file it in the court, and basically give everybody notice, including and especially including John, and then have a hearing and so the judge can see her, can talk with her, and can confirm that she knows exactly what she's doing and basically uh, confirm the validity of the trust, then if John doesn't show up, just doesn't bother showing up in court, then he will be, and I'll use the legal term, he will be foreclosed in the future from filing and sustaining any kind of petition to attack the trust. You follow what I'm saying there? So going to court ahead of time to have your estate plan approved by the court is kind of like buying litigation insurance 
And the litigation you're trying to avoid is having a disgruntled heir or heirs come back after you've died and basically threaten and file lawsuits and tie things up for weeks or months because they can't just be thrown out of court early on uh, because because of the change in the no contest rules. So it's kind of a radical approach to solving the problem. But it will, in fact, solve the problem for, uh, for that family, for that person, making sure that her estate plan will actually be rock solid. Uh, this is Mrs. Jones, rock solid when she passes away. And that would be the purpose of doing something like this. Kind of unusual. Um, and I'm now examining uh, how I can incorporate that in some way into my practice for uh, anyone for whom it might be beneficial. So, that's pretty much that right there. There are some practical drawbacks to doing this. Um, uh, you, You may actually end up having a fight happen right in court up front um, and and that may be over a trust that you have created where you might decide to amend it or change it later on. However, having the creator of the trust involved in this petition, uh, that might basically convince people that might otherwise contest the trust and might then convince them to not show up at all. I mean, if you show up and you start arguing against a parent in open court, it probably is going to make it very clear why the person has been disinherited, because they're likely to make a fool of themselves in the court. Um, That kind of stuff does happen especially if they show up on their own and they don't have legal counsel. Uh, Basically, there's a saying that the person who represents himself uh, as their own lawyer has a fool for a lawyer, and that's kind of of be the case here. So here's the deal. If If the creator of the trust can actually explain why the trust says what it says, and, and and that would eliminate the reason why someone could challenge the trust later on. And that would be the reason why you might do this. Okay, so we're ending the third segment of the show today. When we come back, I'll wrap up the show with a few more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, I'm going to uh, say goodbye for this segment. And there comes the music back in, telling me that it's time to move on to uh, more commercials. That, that's, what, that's what pays the bills around here. At least that's what pays the bills for the station. doesn't pay my bills, but it pays the bills for the station. So uh, we'll talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman.
Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. So, uh, we're going to round up the show today with some more questions and comments from the state of California. Okay, out of Los Angeles, California. Person says, we have a very close friend in Los Angeles whose aunt somehow altered the father's, our friend grandfather's, will and trust so as to disinherit our friend's mother and... Um, Okay, let's let's unpack this. So as a disinherit the other sister, our friend's mother, and that sister's daughter, our friend's sister, whose mental health our friend's grandfather intended to attend to by way of a trust fund. The aunt used an attorney who was not the attorney of record on the will or trust. Well, first of all, there's really no such thing as an attorney of record. I think what they mean is not the attorney that did the original will or trust. Says, did it with only herself, the aunt, and the new attorney present. I assume that means with the grandfather. On its face, this matter seems like it should be referred over to the district attorney's office. Might be, depending on the age of the grandfather, it might have actually been uh, financial elder abuse. There may have been undue influence by the aunt uh, inducing her father to change everything and disinherit her sister and sister's daughter, uh, who has apparently mental health issues. Uh, If that's the case, you would actually go to adult protective services, typically what it's going to be called in the county, Uh, In this case, Los Angeles, they probably have a department in the DA's office that's Adult Protective Services or some similar name. And uh, they if they really want to challenge it, they might want to need need to also get an estate planning litigation attorney to uh, to uh, uh, challenge this, especially if the grandfather's already died, then. I would pursue both routes, both the the uh, the district attorney's office and also a private attorney to file a, uh, a, a case disputing the redone trust. Uh, if there's any evidence taken advantage of the grandfather and induced him to change everything that he already had in place, well, then it might very well be that there would be grounds to... Um, would be grounds to actually have the trust thrown out and the previous trust reinstated. Out of San Diego, California. Now this, when I read this, I thought, this is a really interesting one, but um, it says, 10 years ago, my father passed away. My siblings and I inherited his money and assets through his trust. Now keep that in mind, 10 years ago. Eight years later, I found out through DNA that my father wasn't my biological father and that my biological father is alive and a citizen in another another country. Two years later, my biological father dies with no heirs. For me to make a claim against his estate as his biological child, the country requires that I move my 
American father from my birth certificate. If I remove my father from my birth certificate, am I exposed to legal action from my siblings to pay back an inheritance I received 10 years ago when I thought my dad was my dad and was explicitly named in his will and trust as his daughter? At the time of the inheritance, he was my legal father who raised me. I'm 55 years old now, if that's useful. Not really relevant. The answer is, it kind of doesn't matter because he named you in his will and his trust as his daughter and left you an equal share. He could have done that if you were a stepdaughter and he just kind of raised you and never adopted you. He could have done that if you were his niece or or the child of a best friend or anyone else under the sun that falls into that category. So I would not worry about having to pay anything back. Um, it's been 10 years. It's It also means that the time to challenge anything like that has run a long time ago. Okay, here's a here's a quick one. Is a special needs trust in California similar to a self-settled trust? A car settlement funded the special needs trust for me here in California. It says, I never had access to the funds, but if funds were put into a special needs trust, that means that um, it's, it is a type of self-settled trust. It could still be asset protected for you for your life but it would had to have been set up through the courts and and the government can get paid back for any benefits they paid you uh, after uh, age 55. So that's kind of the short answer to that one. All right, we're coming up on the end of the show today. I hope you've enjoyed the show and uh, want to encourage you, if you'd like to book a consultation with me, go to lawbob.com. And click on one of the booking links for either in person, a Zoom meeting, or on the telephone. Looking forward to talking with some of you in the next month. So please give me a call. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And I hope you have a great weekend. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.